everybody. Welcome to another episode of I'll Be There For You, a podcast about pop culture and coping. I'm your host and producer, Lindsay Innitt. And on every episode, I bring in someone I admire to talk about a piece of pop culture that has gotten them through a difficult time in their lives or through the uh, difficult time in the world at large. I started this podcast, you're probably thinking, what, another pop culture podcast? Good grief. And I started it because, one, I love talking to people about things they love and are enthusiastic about. And I love talking to people about the ways they care for themselves and contextualize what's going on in their lives and going on in the world at large. And I'm I'm hoping that this this podcast uses pop culture also as a springboard to talk about creating a more kinder and empathetic world. So if you care equally about the housewives and the melting ice caps, this is your this is a podcast for you. Today's guest is Steve Ennett, aka XQZ. He is a battle rapper who has taken the stage to say mean things about people in rhyme form across the United States as well as in the UK and Canada. He is the proud father of a golden doodle named Wookiee. He is also my brother. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you for having me. And that was about solid of an introduction as I could have asked for because those are very important facts. There. So um, the first thing we wanted to, wanted to talk to you about today that um, you had mentioned you wanted to talk about on the show today is, is something that has kind of been a constant for you pretty much, I mean, for years now, for over a decade, and, and that is? That is the battle rap culture that you had just alluded to a minute ago. So it's something that as you mentioned, I've been involved in since, uh, since participating in since 2009. Wow, this is this is the 10 year mark right here. That's a little insane, but it is what it sounds like. It's basically two rappers getting on stage and having in in the modern era having verses prepared for each other and just ripping into each other for usually three rounds. Uh, and and oddly enough, it's something that I've been doing for 10 years. And even before that, it was something I would obsessively watch on YouTube. And it's just been insane to watch it grow as from this little subculture that nobody knew about and slowly becoming an industry that gets millions of views on YouTube and has all the famous celebrities and athletes watching it and has had two movies come out about it in the last year. It's just been kind of an insane roller coaster ride that have you know not only been able to take part in as a fan but you know also as someone who not you know, I'm sort of on the the outskirts of the culture but I still participate in it to a certain degree and that's been uh, that's been pretty wild for me you know I've known you for a really long time your entire life obviously and and I know that for a long time like you were saying battle rap has been a constant for you you know I remember you showing me videos of like the jump off when we were in high school. And can you talk a little bit oh, about yeah. the, what, um, what the. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it's kind of weird how it all came to be because I think the, if you ask 95% of folks, just go up to someone on the street and, you know, ask if they are familiar with rap battles. A mile is probably what introduced most people uh, to it. And, uh, that, and that came out, I think, when I was maybe 12 or 13. So it was sort of an introduction for me as well. But I um, started becoming a thing. So I would just search really for any rap battle related content I could find on YouTube. And there wasn't a ton out there, but there was a company called Jump Off that would throw tournaments and battles just out on street corners or sometimes in venues. And uh, those started getting some popularity online. There were like online forums and message boards. It's actually a surprisingly nerdy 
culture, the whole world of, of battle rap. Uh, but it just slowly grew. There became more organized leagues and, uh, battles started becoming more pre-prepared. And so the content got a lot more creative and, and more, consistent and higher quality instead of the you know back in the day when it was all just made up on the spot but it just i just it just kept growing and you know eventually there there became a real market for it well and and what drew you to battle rap as a form of as a form of performance initially I mean, I was always a huge hip hop fan, as, as you know, and I think even when I was just, even before I knew battles existed and I just was into music, I was always more drawn to, I was always particularly drawn to diss tracks and, and kind of those back and forths. Uh, you know, around that same time that Eight Mile came out, you know, the, those early 2000s was around the same time Jay Z and Nas was happening, around the same time 50 and 50 Cent and Ja Rules feud was, was heating up. So it was kind of a resurgence of that competitiveness in hip hop. And I was always drawn to that because I enjoyed that competitive side of it. There was also usually more humor involved in, in that side of things than just, you know, rap and hip hop typically has, um, just in general. And so I think those, you know, the competitiveness and the humor, uh, it just added a little something extra that I could maybe relate with a little more than, than other sub genres of, of rap that I would listen to. Do you and do you have a favorite diss track just for the people listening at home? Oh yeah, you know what? I was always it's super predictable uh, to to pick an Eminem track. Two that he had for for Benzino. The one was called the Nail in the Cough, and one was called the Sauce. And both of those were absolutely brutal. I also think Jay Z's Takeover might be the actual goat, and clearly was superior to Ether. Don't at me. It's Steve XQZ on Twitter if you want to at him. And you know what? Back to back is up there too. Again, don't at me. <laughs> Do you see yourself as a as a competitive person? You know, you're drawn to to diss tracks and to kind of these really iconic MCs trying to one up each other. I don't know if it's if I'm so much competitive because you know I've done probably thirty something battles at this point, and I'm. It's never like I have to win. I have to. Everyone has to say I'm the best. I've never really. There's. I'm sure there's been times where I felt like that. But it's more, I get drawn to strategy. And in a lot of ways, whether it's when you're going head to head, whether it's on a track or in an actual battle, it's very much, you're you're sort of playing a a chess game because you're really, you are expressing yourself, but there's also trying to anticipate what the other person's going to do and be ready to counter that. It's a really, get really deep into the strategy. And I've always just been kind of fascinated by that, the little chess moves that they'll make, you know, that I've seen battlers make where they'll kind of trap someone into like you know oh i just proved you're a hypocrite because i just pulled up a bunch of things you said five you know and it's it's you went to cranbrook that's a private school exactly and it's mental that whole process but it also it's also fascinating to me and it, it just creates some really crazy memorable moments would you say the role battle rap plays in your life has evolved or changed over time yeah, it, it absolutely has because I mean, it, it just, you know, it started purely, I was just a fan and it was just purely entertainment. And as I got into it again, it's really, it's weirdly enough, it's really only been the past year or two where I've even really considered myself a battle rapper. Cause I always was like, I'm not really, I don't really do this. I'm just a fan who's just like trying and just seeing what happens. And, you know, after years of, you know, I don't get like millions of views on YouTube or, you know, I'm not in a league with guys who really 
are, you know, professionals, so to speak. But, you know, I've made a lot of progress over the years and I finally feel, and, you know, I've gotten to, I've become peers with some of the same people who I used to watch on YouTube 10 years ago. So, you know, as far as like what I've accomplished in that world, you know, there's, there's not much more that motivates me. So it's purely just, it's just fun now. It's, you know, I was just telling you before we started, I'm going to an event this next weekend in, in St. Louis just to, just to hang out with, you know, people who I've been doing this all with for years. It's, be, it's you know, it's, it's like being on a on a rec flag football team or, you know, being on a, I don't know, in a theater group. It's just like, it's these same people you just have this similar hobby with, even though it's it's kind of a bizarre one. But, you know, those are people you, you bond with. And I just appreciate that and appreciate the community of it. Shout out to 3D. I, absolutely. Shout out to 3D. That's that's the team right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, one thing I really did want to ask about was the community. Community. You know, you've had a chance to meet battlers all over the world. You've developed some friendships out of this. How has being a part of that community helped you navigate issues or difficult stuff in your own life? It's sort of been interesting to, that's something I've been thinking about lately because when you look back, um, there's a lot in that world that, there's a lot that goes on in this culture and in this community that realistically me as a person I don't I'm not really a fan of you know you you, obviously in a culture that's based on your ego and based on saying horrible things to each other everyone has different lines and a lot of those lines get crossed people get into content that I really in real life most of them probably wouldn't be okay with and I'm not you know I've never been I'm not a person who's like oh edgy humor is is so important like the more you know shock value I've, I've never been really into that take that snowflake yeah, I mean, it's it's you, you see those dynamics like, you know, in this world, because it's interesting because it's like people cross those lines, but it doesn't even it's almost like it does. It's all there's just this understanding within each other that like I'll go first, probably 10 battles I would get up. And I would get three rounds of really messed up Jewish jokes. I knew that the person across from me wasn't really anti-Semitic and we would shake hands and be friends and have a drink after the battle. And maybe that's messed up, but it was almost, it's almost just like a relief to kind of take, put everything that's, everything that's going on in the climate and those, those debates and arguments and just not pretend they're not there, but cross those lines and just be okay with it. And then at the end of the day, you walk away and you still believe what you believe, but it's almost just like, putting that aside for a bit and maybe that's not the healthiest thing but you know it's it's one kind of messed up way i think to cope is just face those things head on and just find the humor in it even if you deep down don't really find it humorous i don't know if that makes sense but that's just kind of trying to to put it to words i think that's a really interesting point and i I think we have a tendency to talk about it almost kind of seems like i mean just in what i've observed like super edgelordy humor almost comes off as like cornball and is not necessarily really respected in that's that's true i mean it's it's really just trying to be as shocking and offensive as possible. Maybe that, that used to work, but people have really moved away from that over the years. I think because it got played out and because of the current climate and just, you can really only pull it off now if it's really clever, really creative. People will respect that. But if it's just the predictable, you know, really low hanging fruit, then 
people will just kind of roll their eyes at it. And it's it's become, I, I think, another, as a byproduct of that, it's really become less about digging into someone's personal life or their race or what have you. And it's been more, it has been more about having more creative angles, more wordplay, and, you know, less about what you might uh, expect from, I don't know, a wild and out or something you might see in a more mainstream, you know, drop the mic or what have you. Is drop the mic the, the James Corden one where he brings on? Um, That's the one. And actually, a lot of actual battle rappers help write on that show. Some people I'm, I'm, I'm friends with, it seemed to have a little spark at first, and I really haven't heard much from it in a while. So how else has, has writing for battles like been an outlet for you? And how, you know, how does the process of preparing for and participating in a rap battle fit into the context of your day to day and help, you know, you navigate other stuff? It's always been, yeah, and I've obviously taken breaks, so, you know, I've, you know, over, I'll do usually a couple battles a year. And, and the if I'm actually preparing how I should, then I'd probably start preparing, you know, a couple weeks in advance, because it, you know, you are preparing usually about six to 10 minutes of material that you've, you're trying to memorize. You've had your Kingdom Come era and your American Gangster era. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. You have your you have you have your off nights, you know, you're I mean, this is all you feel really isolated preparing, you know, because it's like this is even more so than I think not to draw, I guess, too many comparisons, but even more so than like a musician, there's no producers, engineers, it's just you, you have to come up with all this you have one chance to perform it as flawlessly as you can like it's it's a lot of pressure but i think that because it's this because there's usually several weeks sometimes even months that go into preparing for one i mean i've looked at it as these long-term projects and when i think about battles i've been in in the past you know i can also connect with certain things that might have been going on in my life at the same time you know while i was preparing like for example i i battled in in london a couple of years ago and it happened to be one of those ones where i put off preparing until the uh until the very last minute which you should never do and unfortunately i've i've done that a few too many times and it, you know, it usually, it all ends up coming together, but it, it hurts the performance. But, and I remember the day of the battle, I was walking through a tour of the Westminster Abbey while also trying to piece my third round together. And so I'm walking and seeing this amazing <laughs> landmark while also muttering raps under my breath. And it was definitely not the way you should prepare, but you know, just kind of little memories like that. You know, I remember so many nights pacing back and forth in my dorm room back when I would do these in college. And it just kind of, you just connect a lot of memories to not just your performance, but the preparation, the after parties, just, it's, there's just a lot that, you know, every life stage I've had since I've turned 18, I can connect with, you know, whatever battle I was also getting ready for at the time or where I was on this journey. For people who have never seen a rap battle, could you recommend some battles Absolutely. for them to, and we'll put links to these in the show notes for them to, to catch on YouTube? One cool, one, another thing that's really cool about this world is there is actually something for everyone. I think a lot of people probably have a preconceived notion of what battle might look like, you know, very aggressive, very, you know, I don't know. A lot but of gun bars. A lot of, yeah. And, and there's, and there's plenty of that. And that's probably the most known, I guess, if you want to call subsection, subsection or what have you, but there really is something for everyone. I mean, there are people who don't even really sound like they rap. They sound like they're doing slam poetry. They're super nerdy science rappers. There's, you know, people from all backgrounds, all 
races, all genders. You know, it really there is something for everyone. There's Carter Deems. There's and that actually is what I was going to say. If if you don't think rap battles would be your thing, I recommend watching any battle uh that has Carter Deems. Uh he's this guy, I think originally from Atlanta, and now I think he he lives in Milwaukee actually. The most nervous awkward person you could ever imagine and he doesn't hide that at all on stage he actually leans into it and probably even amplifies it a little bit you know i'm not not saying it's an act but i think you know he it's part of you know it it adds to the character everybody has a persona and most of his material is either rapping about his charmed suburban life full of cats and microwaves and minivans and that those are the things he raps about or it's just doing parodies of wordplay but purposely doing really bad puns so if you like dad jokes and just it's it's hard to explain but anything with carter deems i recommend watching another really funny battle rapper is this guy shuffle t he's he's british and he just uh has a kind of a gift if you imagine if you've ever seen the british office he's basically david brent Right, that's the guy's name. He's yes. basically David Brent, and just the way he's able to communicate the most dry, cutting sarcasm um, while actually rhyming a million syllables perfectly. It's actually like magic. He's incredibly talented. I'm so glad you <laughs> Shuffle T um, is one of my favorite rap battle videos. Features Shuffle T, uh, Shuffle T battling his flatmate Marlo, and the whole premise of the battle is just let's do every battle rap cliche and just lampshade the ever loving fuck out of it, and it's so corny and so it's so bad it's good to try to do so bad it's good as parody sometimes it veers into so bad it's bad but they i think really nail it yeah and it just the fact that they're the fact that it's two you know posh british guys it definitely adds to the effect of it there's just as an example they say uh it's it's like you're an insomniac because you're not into resting. So just really bad puns, if you know, and just delivered in in such a dry, deadpan. It's 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 pretty it's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, as far as you know, more I guess those examples are more on the alternative <laughs> side of <laughs> battle rap. But you know, guys, the kind of the top tier names like Hollow the Don, Tay Rock, Arsenal. Uh, New Jersey twerk is actually someone's name. Uh, Pat stay though. If you watch battles from guys like that, you'll maybe get more of an idea of what the, on the larger scale, the, the bigger stage is what this, uh, what it's all about. And there's leagues for everybody. Uh, Steve was actually telling me before we recorded, there is an LGBT battle league out of New York called Prism. They have some battles on YouTube as well. So, I mean, it's, I think hip hop often is, you know, still grapples with a, a certain reputation, especially kind of how it's written about in the mainstream. And no, this, this is an art form that, you know, maybe not every rapper, maybe not every battle is for everybody, but everybody can kind of find a niche in. And I think that's really really cool yeah and that's you know and that is something i I really do appreciate about it i think it is as corny as it sounds i mean i think it really does it brings people together that that normally wouldn't and i you know people it might be hard to believe it and people you know i'm i'm not judging but i'm just saying like this is something that happens i mean there are I'd say the majority of the culture probably is is left leaning, and there, but uh, you know, there are plenty of of people on the other side of the spectrum as well. And you know, it's just it's people maybe you wouldn't normally be at the same function as getting along with it over this kind of common bond, which I don't know what that says, but you know, it's just it it does put everything aside because as I think 
these performances, maybe it's because these performances put a lot of pressure on you and we just all appreciate, you know, the work and the risk each other takes and, you know, the effort and creativity that goes into it. But it's a break from, you know, certain, just putting certain things aside, even though, you know, it's nothing you can totally sweep under the rug, but it's, it's a mini break. We both grew up in a very insular suburb of Chicago. And I think being a part of Battle Rap, I think, would you say it's kind of allowed you to meet people from with very different life experiences than you've had? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because of our friend social media, it's even more so because I think that's where a lot of this community feel happens is just on, you know, these in these Facebook groups and on Twitter where, you know, I'm friends with people I've, I've never met that battle in Ireland and Wales and, you know, all over the US. And, you know, it's gotten me to two different countries and a couple different cities. So it really just, it has become its own. It's taken on a life of its own and has, has branched me out quite a bit. Awesome. And I know you wanted to do a show and tell about uh, another piece of culture that has gotten you through rough times. And I know and I was excited to talk about it with you because I know it's something that's a big kind of self care thing for me as well. And that is that is Parks and Rec, one of the greatest pieces of television of all time. And this is really good timing, too, because I've just started rewatching the whole series from the beginning. Where are you at right now? Oh, man, I just... The last episode I watched was fucking Greg Pakaitis. <laughs> that is such a good, like, run of episodes, too. You got mm-hmm. Greg Pakaitis, Hunting Trip, I think, is in there. The Venezuela... Was it Venezuelan? Oh, Sister City. Sister City. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The first half of season two of Parks and Rec is truly wonderful television. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what, what gravitated you towards Parks and Rec initially? You know, it really just, I I missed it when it was actually on TV, um, but then Netflix came along. And I think it was just one of, it's one of those that it's reputation, like you feel like you have to watch it, same as like on a level with like The Office, Breaking Bad, all, you know, Game of Thrones, those shows that like, if you haven't seen it, people will give you shit (laughs) incessantly until you do. I just started watching it. And I remember because I had just graduated college a couple months before. And so I had started working my first dreary office job. From the beginning, I could feel like I could relate a lot with kind of the the overall quiet dead end feeling vibe that the office had that that uh, the the parks department had, especially at the beginning of the series. Um, And then, you know, I didn't really know what it was where they were going with it because you know i thought maybe it was going to be just similar to the office but it had a i feel like it had a little bit more of a of a story arc and a constant development than than the office did so i wasn't really prepared for that but it, it hooked me in how did watching parks and rec at the time when you're you know doing this dead-end office job you know when you i i can i i can't speak for everyone but i feel like when those first couple months where you go from being a college student to working to sitting in an office eight hours a day. That's got to be rough for, for most people. There's, I'm sure there's a select few who got those dream jobs right out of college. There, you know, it was definitely sort of that surreal feeling of like, wow, I'm going back here every day. Like this is life now. That's tough for anyone to wrap their heads around. I think I've never really been the type to like get super into like a TV show and watch it straight through. My attention span's just not good for that, but it was just really nice to have something that was just very, very captivating, very uplifting most of the time, and just something fun to just be like, okay, I have, you know, 
even if this whole real life work thing isn't really what I'm feeling right now, I have something to look forward to every day. How did it kind of help you make sense of, of, or put kind of your situation at the time into context and, I think it did. I think it did that quite a bit. You know, I, I think it, I started off and I guess the, the office has did this in, in a way too, where it would feel like, okay, these people go to work every day and maybe their job isn't super exciting. Maybe it's, it's not like their passion or, you know, something that, you know, except for Leslie, no, but the rest of the people at the off at the, in the department, it wasn't really their passion, but then they'd leave and get into ridiculous shenanigans, still have an incredibly <laughs> exciting, interesting story, and just still have... I mean, from the outside, there were some times I'd watch and be like, damn, I kind of wish I lived in Pawnee. <laughs> like, they could make any... They could make a situation that seems really boring and not ideal, and they'd just make it seem like, hell, let's just enjoy life anyway. <laughs> nah, I'm I'm with you. I was We were watching flu season on New Year's Day, as you do, and realized the one place I would really want to visit in Pawnee is JJ's Diner mm-hmm. <laughs> for the waffles. I mean, they look amazing. It, it did give me an appreciation for that small town feel, which, you know, has only, you know, only grew over time as I spent a lot of time in Columbia, Missouri and Peoria, Illinois, and just grew an appreciation for getting out of the city every now and then and i think it just when you when you just enter the adult world it just it it gave me something to look forward to i'm like you know what if i go to the the snake hole lounge was that what it was called yep the snake hole lounge one night and get wasted with my coworkers, and then we're all and then we're all hung over at the office the next day like that sound that sounds lovely like that's just that's team bonding right there. How that can't be so bad. Yeah, and then Ron's gonna bring you burgers and yeah. sing his little first you take the cow to the killing floor. So <laughs> I don't know if this was I know this wasn't really the intention, but I really just genuinely liked just about every character on that. <laughs> I mean, it just seemed like such a fun group to hang out with. Was there any particular impetus for you to start a, a rewatch now? Honestly, just because I don't remember much. And I, you know, it was, it's probably five or so years since I finished it watching the first time. And I keep telling people, I've always told people like, you have to watch it, but then I can't really support it with quotes and, and memories. I mean, I remember, you know, I could rattle through like a lot of the jokes too are very insular references that you had. Like if I just say little Sebastian to someone, it, you know, who hasn't seen it, it's not going to make sense. But that like hits so hits you right in the gut if you have seen the show. He has 5,000 candles in the wind. You know, I think I also feel a spe- everyone obviously has their character. Like I'm sure you feel like Leslie Nopes, your idol from that show. Aw, um, thank you. That's the <laughs> nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. Uh, and I just feel like. I've had a really fair share of Andy Dwyer type moments where I'm just like, I am going to be something great. And, and I don't, and even if I have to shine shoes for a little bit, people are going to see I, what, you know, and he, I mean, the, the growth, I was so proud of him by the end of it, you know, the, the Andy Dwyer glow up, it Mm -hmm. was, was real. Mm -hmm. The Johnny karate glow up. I haven't even gotten back there yet, but I just, you just reminded me of that. Ah, just so, so heartwarming. <laughs> I'll be honest. I think Aubrey Plaza might be my number one celebrity crush. Like, just that's just it. I, I forgot this was a podcast, and I was nodding. <laughs> it's a, it's a listening medium. <laughs> 
So is there anything you maybe noticed or reacted to differently on this on this rewatch? Now watching it again, knowing how things end up where spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, all the characters really end up, you know, finding their own and it really just works out for everyone. You know, who couldn't use one of those reminders that even if you might feel like it's a hot mess right now, the odds are pretty good that you might things might not work out perfectly, but they're going to improve drastically if you just go with it. I think seeing where they're all st- starting from from scratch it's it's always I think everyone can use that reminder from time to time. Oh man, and that that again, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers, that series finale where it's really all kind of tied up in a bow. Um in our household we have a lot of debates about that last episode because I like my wife Una or your sister-in-law mm-hmm. does not particularly care for the last season of Parks and Rec because she thinks it's just too much fan service and it just is a little bit like it's too satisfying mm-hmm. And I respectfully disagree because like at the end of the day, I think what Parks and Rec is about is it's a show about friendship and it's a show about collaboration. The characters on the show are all so endearing and so likable and you're rooting for them and you want them to be happy. And that's kind of how inadvertently, I guess I kind of am like Leslie Nope in that I look at the people in my life and I'm like, you know, you are amazing. You are a beautiful tropical fish and I just want want everything to work out for you and for everything to just be the best for you all the time and obviously real life doesn't always work like that but i think getting a little glimpse of that in the world of Pawnee is just like immeasurably satisfying and i mean the reality of the, the reality of the situation is if we kept watching these people's lives shit would hit the fan again at some point you know, it, it things tie, tied together, but ups and downs are going to keep happening. But, you know, it's just, yeah, it, it really, you can, you can have a, just a clear win every now and then. Like, that's, that's allowed. I'm Unless trying. you're Jerry. Like, I love how the show ended Jerry's arc, but, but they like misspell his name on his humans. As Andy Dwyer said, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I read that one on a can of lemonade. I think it, I'd like to think it applies to life. <laughs> Not everything needs to be that deep. Like, just have some fun and just appreciate whatever weird situation you're in. <laughs> totally. That is very good advice. And I want to know, what are some other ways, either through pop culture or not, that you practice self-care or, you know, taking care of the people around you, you know, channeling that inner Leslie Nope? And everyone's kind of got their thing that hits them a little bit harder. And for me, that's music. Just some people kind of dive right into things. For some, it's like you need a little break from it. And for me, you know, you might have kind of guessed from my first two topics, but I'm the kind who will just take a break from everything and just recharge for a bit. I'll throw on something really low stakes like Drake or Cardi B and just like, okay, I can, you know, I'll deal with everything, but just let's just recharge for a little bit. You know, I, I've always been, I think I've maybe in the past leaned towards like recharge on my own for a bit, but I've also lately been like, you know, seen the, the power that reaching out to, to people randomly has both on, on them and on yourself. So, but you know, it really is just, it's, you know, whatever, 
kind of fits at the time. I I guess for me, it's just like when I do connect with people, I've just, I try to be, and this isn't for everyone, but I just try to be an open book. Like I'll tell anyone anything that they ask, you know, I'll share whatever is on my mind. You know, I'm never went and talked to, you know, I've done therapy in the past. It's, it's okay. It's nothing, you know, just be open about whatever, whatever you need to do, as long as it's not hurting anyone. What the hell? I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you for being here, Steve. Where can people find you online? Hey, find what you're working on. Thanks for having me. Uh, on on Twitter and on Instagram at SteveXQZ. Hit me up. Thank you so much for listening to I'll Be There For You. We put out new episodes every other Sunday to help you beat those Sunday scaries. Uh, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to and download your podcasts. Give us those five-star reviews even if you're not totally sure this is five stars just just do do it it. just do it and uh you can also reach us with feedback maybe you want to be a guest recommendations whatever you want at i'll be there for you pod at gmail.com thanks for listening we'll uh talk to you next time 